You're listening to WCAT Radio, your home for authentic Catholic programming. Welcome back, everybody, for our next segment in our scripture reading and reflection. I am joined once again by my great friend, Eric Robinson. Eric, how are you? I'm good, man. Got a different robe on this time. I know, which is crazy because this is actually back-to-back with our previous conversation. So if you haven't had time to practice your Latin prayers yet, don't worry because we meant a week from when we recorded, not, uh, of course we did, right? (laughs) Right. So you get another week to practice. You get another week to practice those Latin prayers. But um, we are going to continue on with the uh, Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3 today. Uh, So why don't... uh, yeah, why don't we just get right into it, Eric? You want to start us off with uh, with some prayers, and then we'll begin? Yep. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Lord, again, for the privilege we have of getting to know you through uh, through the Scriptures. And I pray that you speak through, uh, to us today. And uh, we ask for the Blessed Mother's intercession as we unpacked, unpack this revealing of the Son of God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Here we go. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light 
so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he spent some time there with them and baptized. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was abundant there, and people kept coming and were being baptized. John, of course, had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified, here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, No one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted his testimony has certified this, that God is true. He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives a spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has placed all things in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. All right, where to begin with this one, Eric? I mean, this is, um, I think it's important to understand that, uh, you know, it's unanimous among the church fathers, um, really up to the time of the Reformation, that this is, this is about baptism, right, primarily. Right, and we see that in the context. Like, immediately after that discourse with Nicodemus and a few more words there, what happens in, cha- in uh, verse 22 after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, the baptism that they're doing is pre-Pentecost, so it's not actually Christian baptism yet. It's just the preparatory baptism uh, of, like, John's baptism, like the baptism of repentance. But this is a prefiguration of Christian baptism. And so the context of this whole chapter is baptism, which is why when he says, you must be born of water and the Spirit, that is a reference to baptism. And that's how the church has always understood it. It wasn't until Zwingli in the, in the Reformation that he thought it was just a symbol and that this was not referring to baptism, but it was referring to just your natural birth and the, the fluid that comes out with natural birth. And then, the, and then you have to just be born of the Spirit, which happens when you believe. But that is not actually what the church teaches. That is not uh, correct. Um, because he distinguishes between a natural birth and a supernatural birth, and the supernatural birth is done with water and the Spirit, uh, both, which is why Jesus is baptizing there and to give us that context. One thing I want to point out, though, real quick, is uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And so we're going to see a theme in the Gospel of John. Like we saw a theme of the blood and the water. We're going to see that continuously here. And now we're going to also see a theme of light and darkness. And so oftentimes we do come to Jesus at night. We're in the darkness of air. We're trying to figure things out as Nicodemus is. 
And Jesus has to give us the light. He is the true light that shines in the darkness. And so we're going to see this light and darkness uh, over, over the Gospel of John here. And so that's an important point to keep in mind as well. And so I think, yeah, it's pretty explan- self-explanatory as far as the baptism goes once we've, we've taught about that. It's like, yeah, if you're not baptized with water and the Spirit, you're, you don't belong to the kingdom of God um, because it's in baptism that you receive the Holy Spirit. So that's where your jar gets filled with wine. That's why John, his joy will be full when the bridegroom increases and he decreases. So it's going back to the wedding feast of Cana, bride and bridegroom. And that's what John's pointing to. He must increase, I must decrease. And that's something we should all have an attitude of as well. Um, And there's also one quick note with interpreting scripture. There's a literal sense and there's a spiritual sense. And so oftentimes I'll flip back and forth between those. First, you take the literal, then you take the spiritual. And the spiritual is broken down into three components. You have the moral sense, the anagogical sense, and um, the sense of the eschatological sense. So those are the different senses of scripture. So the moral is like, how does this impact our lives? Anagogical is basically like, how um, does this uh, fit into the wider narrative? Um, and then the um, eschatological sense is how is this for the end times? So, sorry, the anagogical is basically like, how does this go into the salvation salvation history? Right. Um, I'm mixing up the words there, so don't quote me on that, but there are four different senses, and three of them belong into the spiritual, but you can look it up in the catechism. But anyway, we kind of mix the different interpretations as we go along, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. Right, there's just different layers of interpretation yeah. here, right? Uh-huh, yeah. What kind of strikes you, Pat, as you, re- as you read this today? Like, what kind of uh, I mean, stands the, out the, to you? The essentiality of baptism. And I think it's, it is worth emphasizing that there is just unanimous agreement, again, up to the time of the Reformation, that baptism confers an indelible mark on the soul. There's a real ontological, metaphysical change that happens through the sacrament of baptism. And how essential this is um and how big of a deal it is right and it's not something it's not something we can earn again right it's a gift it's a complete gift um but it is it is it is necessary for salvation right now we can talk about you know baptism by blood and baptism desire this or that but in the general run baptism is necessary for salvation and yeah i think it i think it's i think it's very clear uh, in scripture itself, but if there was any question about that, I mean, you just have to go look at the unanimous consensus around this for, you know, the first, you know, 1500 or so years of yeah. the Christian tradition. And then it, it is just kind of odd or striking to think that everybody, including those who were closest to Christ, would have gotten it so fundamentally wrong until until, until Zwingli, right, pops yeah. onto the scene. Um, yeah, that just seems wildly implausible to me, yeah. right? I mean, verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's just very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, baptism is the gateway to glory. It's the gateway into the church. Um, it's prefigured in the crossing of the Red Sea, where the Israelites escape from the slavery of Egypt and they enter on their pilgrim journey towards the promised land through the waters of the Red Sea. It's prefigured in Noah's flood. Um, It's even prophesied about in Ezekiel where 
In Ezekiel, I believe it's 36, he says that the Lord's new covenant is where he will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be purified. So the idea that this is not referring to baptism is contradictory to the scriptures, um, especially when you look at Ezekiel chapter 36. And then there's this emphasis on the Holy Spirit. So what happens in, in baptism is that you are born of the Spirit. Now you receive the Holy Spirit. And this is an amazing thing. Um, and that's something that will be a constant theme as well. And, you know, spirit means breath. And so there's this like nice wordplay on the wind and the spirit there. And I think that's cool how like the spirit blows where he wills. And so is everyone who does the will of God, right? Like you kind of don't know what they're going to do. Like, you know, Jesus goes from one town and then all of a sudden he goes to the next. And then he just, and then sometimes he remains in a place for a while, but he's always doing the father's will and he's doing the father's will through the spirit. And, uh, and one more typological thing that's even mentioned here is that Jesus is like, is basically like how there was this um, plague on the ancient Israelites because they were disobedient to God and he sends serpents among them. And then Moses just hammers out a bronze snake, puts it on a stick, and everyone who looks at this bronze snake is healed and saved from this poison. And so Jesus is saying, just like that, was that's actually a prefiguration of what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be lifted on this stick, the stick of the cross, the wood of the cross, and I'm going to take on the sins of the world. I'm going to be crucified. And when you look at me in the crucifix, when you look at me, Christ crucified, you will be healed. Christ crucified is made present to us in the Eucharist. When we look upon him in the Eucharist, we are healed. We are saved. So once again, there's this going back and forth on Christ crucified, the Eucharist, this typology. I love typology. I love that it even talks about it even in this passage. Yeah. Amen. Um, famous, you know, very famous passage, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Beautiful passage, no doubt, right? Be speaking to God's radical mm-hmm. transcendent love for us, but we must also not forget the, the, you know, the, the other really important context of, uh, of chapter three, um, that God, yeah, did not come to condemn the world, but uh, that the world might be saved through him. However, those who do not believe are condemned already, right? And yes. then at the end, we find that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. So there is a real opportunity, if you want to call it that, for us to resist the Spirit's call, right? So. Yes. Uh, that that strikes me, right? Um, yes. That if you want to know what strikes me, yes, these beautiful passages of God's love, hugely important. But there's something in us that can say no to that, that can resist that, and when we do, yes. we condemn ourselves. And yes. That's, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, John three sixteen is used to show, like, oh, you see, you just need faith alone. You don't need baptism. You don't need all these things. Well, first of all, do you believe Jesus? Like whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe him when he says baptism is necessary for salvation? Do you believe Jesus when he says you must be born of water and spirit? Secondly, faith and works are necessary. That's what it says at the very end here. He who believes in the son has eternal life. Yes, but guess what? You have to obey the son as well to have eternal life. Because if you don't obey the son, you shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. And so faith and works is necessary. Faith and sacraments are necessary. And so I, it's very um, disturbing when people just take verses out of context here. Um, 
But I do love that where, yeah, God the Father didn't send the Son to condemn the world, but to save it. And I think that's so important to remember in our current context in America where things are falling apart and, you know, the morality of this nation is is awful. And the reason of that is, as it says it here, is because they love darkness rather than light. The people love darkness rather than light. So nothing's new under the sun. Like what's happening in America is the same old, same old. People don't want their darkness to be exposed, so they just hide. And they don't come to the light because they don't want the truth. They, they like the darkness. They, they want to keep doing evil deeds. But when we go out into the world as Christians, we don't go to condemn the world. Yes, we condemn what is wrong. We condemn uh, in the sense that we can call a spade a spade. We say, this is wrong. This is right. Um, but the people, we have a heart of compassion. As Jesus was sent out of the compassion of the Father to save the world, so we go out for the world's healing to be ministers so that they can escape the darkness, the lies, the deceit, and come into the light because we know that's what they ultimately long for. That's what they're made for. Unfortunately, a lot of people won't choose the light even when we go out and meet them as you see Jesus was crucified. So also most likely we in following Jesus will be persecuted for our faith because the world doesn't like it when you call it out for its sin and call it to repentance. And yet that is what the world is longing for. There's a commentary here. It's about a page and a quarter from uh, St. Thomas. You want me to read that? Sure. So uh, for those who didn't listen to the last episode, I'm reading from the Word on the beautiful Word on Fire Bible. It really is a cathedral in print, and uh, it's suffused with commentary from church fathers, saints, Bishop Robert Barron himself. So uh, here's something uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas' commentary in the Gospel of John called Four Signs That, that God's Love is the greatest. So let's take a, let's take a quick listen here. John shows us here from four standpoints that this love of God is the greatest. First, from the person of the one loving, because it is God who loves and immeasurably. So he says, for God so loved, O favored among peoples, all his holy ones were in your charge. He's quoting Deuteronomy 33.3 there. Secondly, from the condition of the one who is loved, because it is man, a bodily creature of the world, i.e. existing in sin, quote, God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. Thus, he says, the world. Thirdly, from the greatness of his gifts, for love is shown by a gift, as Gregory says, the proof of love is given by action. But God has given us the greatest of gifts, his only begotten son. And so he says that he gave his only begotten son, he who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, Romans 8, 32. He says his son, i.e. his natural son, consubstantial, not an adopted son, that is, not those sons of which the psalmist says, I say you are God's. This shows that the opinion of Arius is false, for if the son of God were a creature, as he said, the immensity of God's love through the taking on of infinite goodness, with which no creature can receive, could not have been revealed in him. He further says only begotten, to show that God does not have a love divided among many sons, but all of it for that son whom he gave to prove the immensity of his love. Quote, the father loves a son and shows him all that he himself is doing. John 5.20 Fourthly, from the greatness of its fruit, because through him we have eternal life. Hence he says, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, which he obtained for us through death on the cross. 
And all that is from St. Thomas Aquinas. So always good to have insights from the, from a doctor of the church. Yes. Very good. Yeah. God's love is the greatest, but, um, this is, this, this passage is not, you know, this chapter is not universalist. Right. I mean, it's, you have to obey the son or else you're not saved. You also have to be born of water and spirit. Uh, once again, there are, you know, baptism of desire, baptism of uh, blood and those other things that, that count as baptism. For instance, if you weren't given the opportunity to be baptized, if you had that desire or if you would have acted in such a way to where God would see, like if you would have been accorded the opportunity to be baptized, you would have done it. So there's exceptions, right, to that. But Right, and you can trust that a perfect God judges perfectly, yeah. right? And I think that's, it's just amazing, like the gift of a person, right? The gift, the gift of his son. And what strikes me is, like what I love about this verse, like for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Like every time we go to mass, the father gives us his son again and again in the Eucharist. Jesus gives his total self to us. Then we give our total selves to him. And that's how we enter into the love of the Trinity, the total gift of self. And, um, and so, like we said, you know, the baptism, that's the entry point. And then this, and obviously to enter with baptism or the other sacraments like the Eucharist, faith is essential. We have to believe that what Jesus says is really true that he will give us his spirit through baptism, that we are born of water and the spirit. We have to believe that this is true. And, uh, or if it's a baby being baptized, obviously the church's faith is, is believing on behalf of the baby. And so we, that faith allows us to enter into the mystery of the sacraments. It allows us to see that the bread is no longer bread, but it's Jesus Christ. And that's entered through faith. We're given the faith, hope and love, these theological virtues in baptism, uh, which is awesome. And then the call, like John the Baptist, is to really be friends with the bridegroom as well in certain stages. Obviously, we're, we're part of his bride, but also, you know, as messengers of preparing for the second coming of Christ, you know, we are, we are preparing people for the bridegroom's return, and he must increase and we must decrease. I just love that. I love that so much. And so that's the call, right? Is that we're pointing, pointing people to Jesus as Mary did in chapter two, do whatever he tells you. And that's the call of a follower of Christ is like, Hey, he must increase. We must decrease. And let's believe in him, not just believe about him, but believe everything he says and, and, and actually obey him uh, and follow the spirit in doing that wherever the wind blows. uh, That's kind of how it's like following the spirit. You know, it's always an adventure following God because he often will surprise you. Um, And so that's the adventure that we're on in this gospel. And um, that's pretty much all I have to say about it for now. I think think that's a perfect ending spot, my friend. So shall we, you want to close this in prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the gift of your only begotten Son. And thank you that we get to enter in the mystery of his life, death, and resurrection through the waters of baptism and every day, if we want, through participation in the Holy Eucharist. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that we may know you more, which is eternal life. 
And we pray the prayer our Lord taught us in English. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh my gosh, Amen. I messed up the Our Father. I'm so embarrassed. No, <laughs> no, it's it's all good. Thinking uh, too much of these Latin prayers, right? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, Thanks yes, yes. Yeah, well, sounds go. good, everyone. And uh, yeah, Pat, if you want any last words here. Yeah. Um, once again, thanks everyone for, for tuning in here. Um, if you enjoy these little bonus uh, scripture readings and reflections, you know, we always love to hear your feedback, but the best things you can do uh, to help support the show or just, just share it. You know, if, if there's anybody you know who think might enjoy this or benefit from it, whether they're Catholic, whether they're Christian, doesn't matter. You know, anybody that you think, um, you know, in any way might enjoy or, or benefit from these podcasts, please do, please do pass it along. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're told to be the salt of the earth, right? So, um, be, be salty. Stay right? salty, my friends. Stay salty and God bless. Beloved, I'm Annabelle Mosley, author, professor of theology, and host of Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. I invite you to listen in and find inspiration along this sacred journey we're traveling together to make our lives a masterpiece and, with God's grace, become saints. Join me, Annabelle Mosley, for Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. God bless you. Remember, you're never alone. God is always with you. Thank you for listening to a production of WCAT Radio. Please join us in our mission of evangelization. And don't forget, love lifts up where knowledge takes flight.